there. You're listening to the Cary Church Podcast. We at Cary seek to be flourishing communities of hope, transformed by God's love, following Jesus and serving in God's world. To find out more on how to connect with us, go to cary.asn.au. Good morning. It's my privilege to bring the Bible reading to you this morning from Matthew chapter 20, verses 1 to 16. For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire workers for his vineyard. He agreed to pay them a denarius for the day and sent them into his vineyard. About nine in the morning, he went out and saw others standing in the marketplace doing nothing. He told them, you also go and work in my vineyard and I will pay you what is right. So they went. He went out again about noon and about three in the afternoon and did the same thing. About five in the afternoon, he went out and found still others standing around. He asked them, why have you been standing here all day doing nothing? Because no one has hired us, they answered. He said to them, you also go and work in my vineyard. When evening came, The owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the workers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last ones hired and going on to the first. The workers who were hired about five in the afternoon came and each received a denarius. So when those came who were hired first, they expected to receive more, but each one of them also received a denarius. When they received it, they began to grumble against the landowner. Those who were hired last worked only one hour, they said, and you have made them equal to us, who have borne the burden of the work and the heat of the day. But he answered one of them, I am not being unfair to you, friend. Didn't you agree to work for a denarius? Take your pay and go. I want to give the one who was hired last the same as I gave you. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Or are you envious because I'm generous? So the last will be first and the first will be last. Good morning. My name is uh, Mark Lilly and I serve as the senior pastor at our Forestdale campus. It's great to be here with you this morning. I have absolutely no interest in the rugby whatsoever, but for what it's worth to our South African brothers and sisters, I'm an Englishman, so well played. Well played. I noticed that uh, there were some of you really getting into the praise and worship this morning. I'm not sure that's because you're excited about the rugby or because you're excited about Jesus, but either way. Hey, um, when I was a child and uh, mum and dad would buy some treats, whether it was fizzy drink, as we used to call it, or whether it was, um, you know, cake or something like that, um, they always used to make it, nearly always used to make us share it in a particular way. One of us would get to pour the drink and the other would choose first or one of us got to cut the cake 
and the other one would choose. So when it was pouring a fizzy drink, you'd kind of get out a table. We used to have a lot of plastic cups that you couldn't see through very well when I was a kid. We'd try and get glasses so you could see through them and we'd have them on the bench and we'd kind of be, you know, have a ruler across the top trying to make sure that it was perfectly level. And um, if it was a piece of cake, the ruler would almost come out and we'd be measuring just so you could get it just right. And I'm sure we've all used this as a timeless, simple strategy that works really, really well. And we do it because it's one of the best ways that we can ensure that people get exactly the same thing or we make sure that the outcome is fair. If I got to cut the cake and choose the cake, uh, first, my sister would have got either a very thin sliver of cake or no cake at all. And from my point of view, that was a fair outcome, but my sister wouldn't have seen it the same as, as I do. When I was an apprentice, uh, I was an apprentice carpenter and um, I used to work lots and lots of overtime, I used to get paid by the hour. The overtime was great because as an apprentice, when you start off, the pay is not particularly great. So I used to love overtime because you could increase your salary a little bit more and um, I'd have more disposable income to spend on cars and silly stuff like that. Within our culture, within our society, we get paid for the number of hours that we work typically because that's the fair thing to do. These questions of fairness, these questions of equality, they come into the spotlight a fair bit in this parable that we're looking at today. We're continuing on with our series on life in the kingdom parables in Matthew. This particular parable is based on a setting that would have been really familiar with most, with all Jewish people. There were lots and lots of vineyards scattered throughout Israel. Some of those vineyards, they would grow grapes for fruit that they would eat. Some of those vineyards, they would grow uh, grapes for wine. And the work in those vineyards tended to be seasonal. So when it was time to prune the, the vines or when it was time to redig the irrigation ditches or when it was time to harvest, they'd bring in seasonal workers. And that's the picture, that's, that's kind of the, the picture that's happening here in this particular parable. And we read in verses one and two about this landowner. This landowner of a vineyard, he, he hires the first of a number of groups of labourers that he hires to do work in his particular vineyard. And this first group, they started at 6am, 6am. That was the standard starting time for all workers in the land of Israel. And in this particular culture, they finished at 6pm. So they did a full 12-hour shift, a full 12-hour shift. I can kind of see some of you who like to roll out of bed at 7.30 or 8 o'clock in the morning, rock up to work at 9, still half asleep, going, 6am start. But 6am start, and the landowner agreed with this first group of labourers that he would pay them one denarius. Now, one denarius was a standard day's wage. That was a, a, a typical day's wage for this kind of labour, working in a vineyard. So they go off to work. And then the next couple of verses at 9am, the landowner heads back into the marketplace. The marketplace was the place that you went to pick up labour. It doesn't say in the first couple of verses, but he probably found the first lot of labourers in the, in the marketplace also. 
People who needed work would just go and stand around in the marketplace. It was a little bit like hanging around at a, a, a casual labour hire company and you kind of just wait around and hope that somebody would come and pick you up and offer you some work for the day because that's how they operated. They lived pretty much on a day-to-day basis. For some people, not working on a particular day might mean that they had no food to put on the table for their family that evening. So for those that didn't get hired at 6am by a landowner that, that, that came through initially, they were hoping that they might pick up something. And this group of, of labourers do. And with this group of labourers, he agrees to pay them whatever is right. Whatever is right. That phrase likely means that he would pay them a proportionate amount. So this group started at nine o'clock, so they would be paid 75% of a denarius because they had worked 75% of the day. In verse five, the landowner heads out to the marketplace on two more occasions, once at midday and once at three o'clock in the afternoon. Some commentators have said maybe the picture here is one of harvest and there's desperation and, and the first lot of labourers couldn't quite, weren't working fast enough and so he gets some additional labourers and so there's, there's an urgency to bring in the harvest before the grapes get spoiled by the elements. So he, he goes out and hires this next group of labourers and they did the same thing. In verse five, the landowner heads out to the marketplace two more times, two more times, midday and three o'clock in the afternoon. So these people, he did the same again. He agreed to pay them presumably whatever was right. So a proportionate amount. So they got 50% and 25% respectively. But then in verses six and seven, the landowner heads back to the marketplace one last time, one last visit to the marketplace. And this was at 5 p.m. There's only one hour to go, only one hour of daylight left, one hour of the working day remains. So he heads back to the marketplace and we're told that there's people who had been standing around all day, waiting, doing nothing. As I read this particular this particular verse, it took me back to a um, time when I was at school. And I don't know if schools still do this, but when I was at school and it came time for sport and it was a team sport like cricket or AFL or um, soccer, the sports teacher would typically get uh, the two, usually the two best sportsmen and you'd stand one here and one there. The rest of the class is kind of just standing here. And those guys just start picking their team. So you hear your name called out, Mark, so you head to this team, then Joe, you head to this team, Frank, you head to this team. You're kind of standing there. And I've got to tell you, it was a dreadful process. I was okay at sport, but I was always kind of picked up pretty late on in the draft. And there was always that sick feeling that I might not get picked. Now my surname is Lily, and I went to school in the 70s when Dennis Lilly was at the height of his cricketing prowess. So the first couple of times I got picked high up in the draft for cricket, and then I come running in and bowl, 
and then they saw I was Lily in name only, not in my cricketing prowess. So then I was relegated down further down the draft um, in future in future sporting choices. So I found this a dreadful process, and I, I envisaged that that's just perhaps a little bit how these guys felt, hanging around in the marketplace all day, just hoping, hoping, hoping that somebody picks me, hoping that somebody picks me, hoping that I'm not overlooked, hoping that I am not overlooked, hoping that I'm seen. Jesus asks them, why are you still here? Why are you still here? And they simply respond, because no one has hired us. Up until that point, nobody had seen this particular group of people. It wasn't that they were lazy, it wasn't that they didn't want to go and work in his vineyard, it's just that nobody had hired them. Some people suggest that perhaps Jesus here had those people who were seen as a bit less desirable in mind at this point in the parable. Perhaps people like Gentiles, tax collectors, prostitutes, sinners, the people that Jesus has been hanging around with for most of his ministry, they're the ones that are still in the marketplace potentially at 5pm and nobody has seen them, nobody has chosen us. But this landowner, he extends the very same invitation. You also go and work in my vineyard. You also go and work in my vineyard. What a relief. What a relief, an incredible relief. And this last group, they head off. They head off and they commence work in the landowner's vineyard. Now, everybody finished work at the same time. Everybody finished at 6pm. That was the standard that was a standard working day. So by this time of the day, those who started at six had been working for 12 hours. Some had worked for nine, some for six, others for three. But some had worked for one solitary hour. Old Testament law required that if you hired people for the day, you paid them at the end of the day. I guess because people lived from day to day. So a day's work, the evening came, you finished work and then you were paid. So the landowner instructs his foreman to call all of the, call all of the labourers in and pay them. And this is where the story takes a bit of a, tr- a strange twist. The strange thing was at this point is that the foreman was instructed to start by paying those who were hired last Pay them, pay them first. The people who you hired last, pay them first and then work your way through and finish by paying those who had started work first. When those people who had worked for only one hour received one denarius, they must have been absolutely ecstatic at that point. They must have been doing backflips because they knew that this represented a full day's pay for one hour's work. They'd been effectively paid 12 times as much as what they should have been, as what they were entitled to be paid. And then the others are watching this unfold. They start to get a little bit excited at this point because they're thinking, this is a generous landowner. If he's paying those guys one denarius for one hour, 
I could potentially get 12 denarius. I've worked 12 hours. But it became pretty clear that everyone was going to receive one denarius, exactly the same amount, exactly the same amount of pay. So those who had worked longer start to grumble and they start to complain at this point against the landowner. Not only, not only, was it usual practice to pay those who started first, first, they also received the same amount as those who had done one solitary hour. Those guys effectively received a massive bonus. Those who had worked longer thought that they'd been dealt with really, really unfairly by the landowner, especially, especially in view of his generosity that he showed towards those people who had worked an hour. They, treated, they were treated as equal to us. How can you treat those as being equal to us when we've worked much harder for you? Landowner makes absolutely no distinction between those who had done an hour in the coolest part of the day as well. So these guys had probably not even broken out into a sweat. And those who had borne the burden of the work in the heat of the day, from their point of view, the landowner had been really unfair and he'd committed a great injustice against them. We might find ourselves agreeing with them Going back to the principles I mentioned at the start about getting paid for overtime, getting paid addition, additional money, but that's not what they'd agreed to. But nevertheless, given the generosity that the landowner showed to the first group of people, we might find ourselves thinking, those poor labourers working out in the hot sun for the full day and they get ripped off, they'd expended 12 hours of work, 12 times as much as the people who started at 5 p.m. That seems like a bit of a slap in the face, perhaps. I was thinking that the, the works context I worked in as a carpenter, they were heavily unionised, and I was thinking, imagine if the miscellaneous workers' union had gotten onto something like this, no penalty rates for these guys, no overtime, working in the heat of the day and they get paid the same amount. The landowner responds in a really gentle way, in a really gentle way. We read some of the parables and, and, and the responses are quite cutting. They can be quite sharp. But the landowner responds in an incredibly gentle way. He addresses the grumbling workers as friends. Friends. He reminds them, hey guys, you agreed to work for one denarius. And that's what you were paid. You were paid the standard going rate for a day's labour. You weren't exploited at all. And the landowner goes on and he explains to them that he actually has, as the landowner, absolute discretion to pay people above and beyond what they might have expected because he's a generous landowner. It's his money. He can spend his money how he chooses 
to spend his money, including if it means being overly generous with those who were hired last or those who came to the party a bit later than those who started at 6am. This parable, it speaks incredibly powerfully of God's grace, of his generosity and of his kindness. And we see that in the landowner. Even those who were seen as most unworthy received the very same grace and kindness and generosity from the landowner as everybody else. They all received exactly the same. The fact that they were, the fact they were paid so much was entirely due to the grace and the generosity and the kindness of the landowner, of God. And it was his decision. He's the landowner. He can do whatever he wants. He can be overly generous. He can give the same amount of grace to everybody because he owns the vineyard. They didn't deserve a full day's pay, but the landowner saw things entirely different. He was seeing things from a kingdom perspective, so he showered them with his grace, his generosity and his kindness. Matthew wraps up the parable in verse 16 with the words, the last will be first and the first will be last. They're words that we use all the time. Uh, in everybody, who's, even people who are not Christians, you hear them using that kind, of, that kind of language. Just looking at the broader context of this parable just for a moment. In chapter 19, Peter had uh, been having a conversation with Jesus and Peter had asked Jesus a question. This is Peter's question. He says to Jesus, Jesus, we have left everything to follow you. What then will there be for us. See, the disciples had this belief that perhaps they'd qualified for some sort of special treatment from Jesus, that Jesus would somehow favour them because of what they had done for him. We've given up all of this for you, Jesus. We've given all of this up for you. What are you going to do for us? We've been following you now for some time, Jesus. Surely we've got some credit in the bank. And Jesus responds. This is, I'll just read you the final part of Jesus' response to Peter. It's in verse 30 of chapter 19. This is how Jesus responds to Peter's question. Jesus says this, but many who are first will be last and many who are last will be first. So Jesus finishes the parable that we're looking at this morning with almost the same phrase as he's just used a few verses earlier in his response to Peter. The last are first and the first last, or in one version, the first are last and the last are first. Essentially making the same point. Jesus is highlighting to Peter, he's highlighting here in this parable to us, that in the kingdom of heaven, position actually doesn't matter. Position doesn't matter at all. Everyone who responds to the landowner's invitation, everybody who responds to the land, landowner's invitation, even those who are most unworthy, even those who start at 9am, midday, 3pm, or even those who come at the 11th hour, 
receive God's grace in exactly, in precisely the same way. Even though the disciples had left everything to follow Jesus, even though they left everything to follow Jesus, those who respond now at the 11th hour are treated the same as the disciples who felt that they were now in a place of privilege. So what are some of the principles that we can take away? I've got just three brief takeaways. So the first takeaway is this. This parable reminds us that God's grace is absolutely central. God's grace is absolutely central. All the workers are paid the same amount solely because of one reason, God's grace. So our length of service, how long we've been following Jesus, the things we've done for him, they're irrelevant in the kingdom. They're irrelevant in the kingdom. In our workplaces that we go to each day during the week, we accrue entitlements. We, we accrue sick pay, we accrue annual leave, we get paid overtime. After 10 years, we even get long service leave. And sometimes we can look at being a Christian a little bit like this, as though over a period of time, we start to accrue entitlements with God. But that's not how it works in His kingdom. It's not how it works. It's not like we're initially saved by grace and then we start to bank favour with God like He owes us something. He actually accomplishes everything for us through His grace. We come into His kingdom because of His grace, because of His goodness, because of His generosity and His kindness. And we get to stay in His kingdom, continue to live in His kingdom because of His grace and His goodness that He showers on us. So the length of time that we've been Christians doesn't make us any better. We don't become more worthy as we get further down the track because all of us are saved by grace. And because grace is at the heart of everything, it frees us up from this idea that we somehow need to earn God's favour. We don't. We don't have to earn the right to become God's kids. None of us, no matter how much we work, can actually earn that much favour from God. There's nothing that any of us can do to earn more grace or more approval or more of His kindness or more of His goodness. God just generously lavishes that upon us as His kids. Whether we've been working in the vineyard since 6am in the morning or, the, or whether we've come to the party really late at the 11th hour at 5pm. Because His grace is at the heart of everything, this is actually a great leveller. <clears throat> this parable is actually a great leveller. What do I mean by that? Well, God sees us all as equal. If you've ever been at a, a low point in your life where you struggle to really see, how could God love me in this way? Or you've got a low view of yourself. And I've sat in that place myself previously where I've just thought, God, how could you love me like that? Surely I have to do something for you. This parable tells me otherwise. This parable tells me that his grace is the thing that holds me up, that elevates me to a position of being one of his sons. And equally, 
equally to those of us who at times get a bit puffed up, a bit self-righteous, start to feel a little bit superior. And that's something that I've also done. And this parable kind of knocks me down a couple of pegs and say, hey, it doesn't matter how long you've been following me, Mark. I see you exactly the same as I've always seen you because of my grace, because of my grace. Matthew's writing here to a, a predominantly Jewish audience and this parable is set within this context of a question that's been raised by Peter who felt a sense of privilege and a sense of entitlement simply because I'm Jewish, simply because I've left all of this for you, Jesus. Surely I deserve something. You read this parable. There's latecomers who rock up at five o'clock in the afternoon are on precisely the same footing as the Jews who had been God's favoured people for many thousands of years. So Jesus invites, he invites the Jews into his kingdom, he invites Gentiles into his kingdom, he invites prostitutes and tax collectors and sinners. We all get an invitation into his kingdom. He places us all on the same footing because of his grace. So there's actually no place for any of us to be prideful. There's no place for jealousy because he sees each one of us through the same light. And because God sees us all as equal, it frees us up from feeling the need to, to win approval from other people. It frees us up from feeling the need to compare ourselves to one another because God sees us as all the same. He treats us all the same irrespective of how we see ourselves. None of us are actually worthy, whether we started at 6am, midday or 5pm. But God is a generous landowner and he lavishes his grace, his goodness, his mercy onto each of us. The second takeaway, the second takeaway is that there's something unique about this particular landowner. There's something incredibly unique about this landowner. He genuinely cares for the people in the marketplace he could have simply sent his foreman into the marketplace himself. He's clearly a wealthy landowner. He has a foreman who paid the workers at the end of the day. He could have simply sent his, his uh, foreman into the marketplace, but he doesn't. God goes out into the marketplace himself. In fact, we're told that God goes out into the marketplace again and again and again and again to seek people out, to extend an invitation into his kingdom that is personal, an invitation from the landowner himself. Those who are in the marketplace are unemployed and as the day wore on, they no doubt felt increasingly helpless and an increasing sense of hopelessness. Am I gonna be able to feed my family this evening, this landowner, our God, cares deeply about everyone. He wants to employ us, as it were, and give us a reward which exceeds, which exceeds all of our human expectations, just in the way that the reward that he so generously gave to everyone exceeded their expectations. 
But that's what our God does. He comes into the marketplace himself. He invites us personally. Takes an interest in each one of us. He shows the initiative. He comes searching for you, looking for you. He invites you. The fact that the king of the kingdom himself, the king of the kingdom himself, comes after you, looks for you, invites you personally. This is just mind-blowing. Mind-blowing. And he does it because you matter to him. He comes because you matter to him. The third takeaway is this. We're talking about life in the kingdom. This parable tells us something about God's kingdom values. It's a kingdom that doesn't operate in the, with the same values, with the same principles as the world does. In his kingdom, the last are first, the first are last. Our world tells us it's first in best dressed. But his kingdom doesn't operate like that. In his kingdom, blessed are the poor. Blessed are the meek. Whoever wants to be great among you must be the servant of all. This is a kingdom where we have to give our own lives to the king in order to get life itself. It's a very different kind of kingdom. So it requires us to hold kingdom values, values that are very different to the world's values. It requires us to live with different priorities in life. It requires us to live life itself very differently because his kingdom works so differently. Just inclusion, our God is an incredibly generous landowner. He loves us so incredibly deeply and he comes to us himself. He pursues us, each one of us in the marketplace and he extends the most amazing invitation. Come, come, come and work in my vineyard. Come and take part, come and be a part of my kingdom. Come and do life in my kingdom. There's no better place for us to do life than in the kingdom of God. He says, come to me. Come, come and let me shower you with my grace even though you don't deserve it. Come and let me smother you with kindness and with goodness and with my mercy. We don't need to earn any of this. He just gives it to us because he's a generous generous landowner because he loves us regardless of who we are, regardless of who you are, regardless of how you might see yourself. This parable conveys to you how much God thinks of you, how much he loves you. And this life in the kingdom, we get to stand next to others who have said yes to the king. We get to work alongside others who have said yes to his invitation to come into his kingdom, into his vineyard. We get to work next to one another as equals, as people who have all been recipients of his lavish grace, kindness and goodness. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you are such an incredibly generous and gracious and kind and merciful God. 
And all we can say in response to all that you do for us is thank you. This morning, we just want to say thank you. Father God, I don't know where each person is at this morning, but if you are this morning extending your invitation to those who have not said yes to life in your kingdom, then I pray, Lord, that today might be the day that we say yes to you, yes to life in your kingdom, yes to accepting your grace, your goodness and your kindness in our lives. Amen.